Welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, a place where we ask big questions of small things as we gather around the table with makers, thinkers, and doers. So grab your favorite drink, pull up a chair, and join us. Cabin, this is, of course, such a great time to get together and do these podcast recordings, and we have got a doozy on this one. Mm. Elka Reimer is... This lady is just a badass. I can't think of any other word to, yeah, and <laughs> to describe her. She is and, and you'll you'll I mean you're you're totally gonna hear it in her tone and what she says in this podcast. But Chris, you actually like you know her too. Like IRL, you know this woman. I know her. I actually know her. I actually work with her too, which is which is fun. So I get to hear all the cool stories. But uh Elka is just one of those one of those special people that just really lives her passions out mm. and i know we talk to a lot of creators and, and doers and and she is definitely one of them yeah and it is so i'm so excited for our listeners to hear to hear this interview with her she's incredible. yeah she and and you know she's pretty unique in the way that like um she you know so she mans a chainsaw she oh, hikes yeah. hundreds of miles she i mean she she just does these amazing things. And yet when you see her, when you talk to her, she's so unassuming. And she yeah. she just has this amazing, like reverberating quality in her spirit where she is like not seeking any of the notice for herself. She always tends to just, yeah, she doesn't want the spotlight on herself. She always pushes it to somebody else. She always wants somebody else to shine. Yeah. She's one of those people that just elevates other people, yeah. which is such an amazing trait. And and our listeners will hear it. I've, I've told her this often that when she starts to talk, she has such a welcoming presence mm-hmm. and welcoming tone that you don't even have to be in the same room with her. It just, you know, it just comes across whatever medium you're listening to her in she just welcomes you into the conversation that's so so i am so excited for this now i will give a note to our listeners uh she is very involved in a lot of trail running and races that happen in northern california actually Mm -hmm. more specifically in placer county so uh, if you're needing a mental map as as she's describing these different places uh that's where you're going to want to hone into so that kind of goes from sacramento up to lake tahoe uh, in Northern California. So just kind of bear that in yeah. mind as she's talking about different places and you'll kind of have a picture of what, what we're talking about here. And and she is such a rooted person, which I love because that's such a value that we carry on this podcast, right? Of just this very tangible placedness, right? So she talks yeah. about these places as though they were friends in her lives, which is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, and she knows them like she knows friends. Right. And, and so it might be a little bit harder to get into a little bit. Like might be a little bit hard. You might be Googling the names of some, I, I mean, I was a little bit yeah. in, in the call. Um, and yet it actually brings up a richness. It brings up this tenor of like, Oh, this conversation actually only makes sense in this very specific and limited mm. place. And it's this beautiful opportunity to really kind of lean into and embody those values that we carry in the podcast. And I'm, so I'm so glad she brought that. She didn't even know she was bringing that. Cause it's just who she is as a person, yeah. right? She's woven into her. But it was and there she's got, and it was beautiful. Yeah, and she's got such a uh, this humble spirit, right? Like, we're like, come on, Elka, brag about you. Like, we want to pull <laughs> this stuff out of her. Like, no, you live an amazing yeah. life. Yeah. Like, tell us about this because she, she doesn't, again, she just doesn't want to put the well, spotlight and, on. And but she's she, got some great stories. And, and she doesn't brag on her. So let's actually, let's brag on her a little bit. So let's do it. first of all, she is the only female Sawyer, which means she runs a chainsaw on, mm-hmm. on a clearing crew. She's the only female Sawyer in placer county california how how only is she 
I think in in Northern California or Placer, at least Placer County, in, yeah, in, in, where she's volunteering, yeah. Which means, and and you'll hear her say it in the podcast. I mean, she's carrying in a pack of like 50, 60 pounds with chainsaw and fuel and everything else up into these ravines and mountains, like felling trees. She, it's amazing. Okay, but also, and and she, we we did we do coax this out of her, but I'll just say it at the top too because it's worth repeating. Um, her and her daughter ran this incredible hundred mile race through the mountains. And they're actually the only mother-daughter team to ever complete this race. 100-mile race in 24 hours on foot. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, that is no small feat at It all. is not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the other amazing thing about her is she doesn't just do it to, like, conquer or domineer. But she lives into the place and the history. And, and she tells... My goodness, the things that she's done to bring California history alive. I have, I learned things listening to her. And she's not just one of those people who cares about history in a very academic kind of knowledge sense while they sit on the comfortable couch, right? She literally walks it out. And she actually, mm-hmm. she tells a story in this podcast about how she walks out history and it is beautiful and it is moving. And you guys are absolutely going to love this conversation. It's it's going to blow you away, settle you down, lift you up. It's going to do all the things because Elka is just an incredible human being. Yeah, it is the definition of inspiration. And this was actually fun because this is the first interview you and I have got to do together. And yeah, so that was that was extra special as well. We got it, to interview her. <laughs> yeah, so special. Uh, yeah. So without further ado, I just, hey, we, we've teed this up enough. I say we jump right in. What do you think? Let's go for it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I've actually kind of been through your neck of the woods, um, oh, like my. on 70 going out toward, I did a couple of days of snowshoeing in Lassen mm-hmm. and, um, and then last weekend went to Table Mountain and I'm like, that's right. My neck it's of the around woods. here somewhere. Tona Stone and hit me from there. Really? Not. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're about 12 miles from me at that point. Dang. Yeah. Well, one of these days. Because I think I think orchards are majestic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're surrounded by trees, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty it's good like, life. And it's also food. Yes. So you're surrounded by trees that give you food. How neat mm-hmm. is that? It's delicious food. Very healthy. <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're spoiled, okay. and and we're right on the river. So when you're coming down Table Mountain and you cross the Feather River, you actually cross it two times down that yeah. section of seventy. If you were just to get in a kayak right there, you could just paddle right to my house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're right on the river. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. What a great life. And it's an outdoor life, which is a good segue into. It is a good segue because we're about to hear all about your great life. <laughs> yeah. Let's, yeah. let's jump right in. Let's, let's get this going here. This is so excited. We are so glad to have you be a part of this today elka we cannot wait to dive into the conversation but one thing we always do at the very beginning i always ask cabin hey cabin what are you drinking and elka i think you've got something prepared too so uh hey cabin what are you drinking oh i'm gonna start even though okay i'm drinking uh it's a beer tonight i know usually i'm I'm bringing whiskey to the table this is anderson valley it's called old-fashioned it doesn't even actually describe itself as a beer. It simply just calls itself, this is how hoity-toity this beer is, simply calls itself a malt beverage with natural flavors added, aged in bourbon barrels. That's Do all you, you know, get. his voice changed there, Elka? <laughs> wow. He, uh, this is, 
adult beverage voice. But it's delicious. It's Anderson Valley is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, kind of yeah. central, well, more northern California, nearish the coast, and uh, is is so good. Elka, have you ever had any Anderson Valley beer? Well, is that the same as what you speak called Boonville? I think it's close. I think Boonville is is near there. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Because I've definitely stopped at Boonville back in the day on my way to Mendocino. Mm. It is on the way to Mendocino. Yeah. Yeah. Like Sea Ranch and those places. Yeah. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous through there. My I have family that lives up in Mendocino. Hard life up there, um, Northern California coast. But uh, Elka, what are you what are you drinking? Well, I have a story actually. Ooh. I was pulling weeds in the back because you know how I do that. <laughs> it's like got to be outside. And my neighbor from up behind me is he's, he's an octogenarian and um, started chatting with him a little bit. Actually, he, he always asked me about forlorn hope because he wants to know, is this being made into a documentary or isn't it? You know, it's like, well, anyway, um, we started talking about adult beverages and I said, anything with lemon. He said, Oh, I have some lemons growing on my tree. And I'm going to use them in my martini tonight. So I'm talking to this 80 something year old man about adult beverages. (laughs) It was awesome. So I'm having, (laughs) excuse me, fresh lemon picked from his tree about 45 minutes ago with a little bit of Bombay sapphire and sparkling water. Oh my gosh. Look at you. Look at you. You're one of the healthiest people that I know, by the way, just the way that that's a whole nother conversation. We could get into your, your diet and how, how disciplined and how healthy you are. It's, it's so good. It's so good, but I love that. It's so in line <laughs> with who Elka is and just that creativity and just that, that amazing freshness that you bring to it. That's oh, so good. Yeah. And, and you mentioned forlorn hope. We're going to, we're going to cover that a little bit later on, but I want our listeners to take note of that. That's kind of a, a big deal that's happened to you recently. And, and we're going to unpack that a little bit later. Um, but first, Chris, what are you drinking? Yeah, what am I? Oh, today, today I'm holding up my little, you know, copper, copper mm-hmm. mug here. Got a little Moscow mule going on, a little zesty Elka as well. I'm gonna take a take a sip here. Totally official. By the it's way, do you know vessel. do you know why they put Moscow mules in those beaten tin cups? I have no idea. <laughs> I just knew that it was supposed to go in this. I don't know why. <laughs> Marketing ploy to have us all buy additional copper looking yeah. tin cups. Yeah. <laughs> Cabin, why is I it? I should have Googled. I don't know, Chris. Oh. I, I I would have Googled Mine's it. Flask. There you go. Well, whatever it is. And we stick it. So this was in the freezer. So we oh. we, we keep these in the freezer. This? Yeah. Nice. And yeah. Uh, makes it extra cold and extra, extra delicious. So yeah, real mm. good. All mm. right. Well, hey, let's jump right in here. Uh, Elka, we are so excited like I said, to have you here. Can you uh, just start off by introducing yourself to our listeners? However, however you choose to describe yourself, uh, we'd oh, love gosh. to hear who you are. I am Elka Reimer, and uh, I am a very happy person. <laughs> in the, at this stage in my life, I've got two adult kids. I live in Auburn, right on the canyon. I'm looking out to the canyon right now while I'm talking to you wonderful gentlemen. Um, I love the outdoors. It's absolutely my passion. I love my dog. She goes everywhere with me. I love my job. I work at Riskalyze as an onboarding coach and I get to work from home. It's like all the dreams I could possibly want uh, are coming true. And and it's just great. That's so good. That's so good. And, and one of the reasons 
that I wanted to talk to you and that I know Cabin wanted to, to have the conversation too is, is one, your light that you shine. And it's so obvious, just even if people can't see you, it's coming through your voice and, and how you not only describe yourself, but what you do and how you live. Uh, but really the, the part of the outdoors and, and really you are one that connects with the land probably better than anyone that I have ever met in my life. And I wanted to unpack that. Even in your description, you said, I live near the canyon. And, and that is such a perk for you. And, and I know that about you because I work with you. So we talk almost on a, day, on a daily basis. Uh, but I want you to, to, let's explore a little bit talking about the land and and what that means to you what it means to live close to the canyon what it means to 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 be in nature and maybe we should start this off by saying you know most times you're outdoors rather than indoors tell me a little bit about how you're you just love the outdoors i have to be outdoors and it doesn't matter what time of year it is it doesn't matter if it's raining if it's snowing if it's 100 degrees outside, um, although I could do without the latter. <laughs> but uh, being outdoors is life-changing for me. I start every morning running in the canyon. It might only be two miles. It doesn't matter to me. It's, it's that I'm outdoors greeting my day because it, it completely gives me a mental shift and it, it prepares me for the day. It's always my church. It always has been my church. Um, I run alone, except for with my dog. I've always chosen to run alone simply because it, it allows me to be with my thoughts, with prayer, with thinking about other people, with looking at nature, with seeing the changes that occur on a daily basis, especially this time of year, right? Mm -hmm. What's blooming today? What What's done blooming today? What are the trees looking like? Yeah. Um, I'm just connected to it all, and I have to have it absolutely have to have it. I think it's vital for human beings to be um, in touch with nature, especially with the chaos that we have in our lives. So it sets me up for my day and then I can basically handle whatever comes my way. And I start every day happy because of that. And then on the weekends, that's, that's all I can think about is how to spend more time outdoors. So I plan either, you know, snowshoeing trips or backpacking trips, or sometimes a combination of both or you know, whatever it happens to be, hiking, running, uh, trail stewardship, oftentimes both in the same weekend. I mean, it's... Yeah, there's rarely a weekend, to my knowledge, that you're at home. You're 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 out uh, most weekends, out hiking and yeah. camping and all that. Now you you refer to to your sandbox. There's a part of California that you you call your sandbox. Where where is that? And, and how how come that's so special to you? Well, I call it my sandbox and I've had a friend who actually lives in this part of the world ask me, why do you call it the sandbox? And I just say, that is my creative place. That is like where my happy spot. It's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just my happy spot. And that's the Eastern Sierra. Mm -hmm. um, and, and specifically anything between say Sonora Pass all the way down to the Whitney zone, mm -hmm. all the high Sierra, the back country, 14,000 foot peaks, um, beautiful lakes, streams, rivers, granite, as far as the eye can see. It's just incredible. Cabin, I think you've been there. Uh, you I, spent some time in the sandbox. I have you some get deep it. affection for it, but I, yeah, I, I don't get to live in it like you do. So every chance I get, that, that's where I'm at. And um, all summer long, probably, Almost every weekend, I'm on the east side mm. doing something. 
Yeah. And, and you said, jump, Chris, can I jump in here? Please. Because, okay, you said something really cool that I just want to tap into. Um, when you were describing how you start your day, you talked about starting it outside because of, especially because of all the chaos in our world now. And it being outside brings you joy and happiness. And I so deeply resonate with that. I start my mornings, um, usually before the sunrise, out feeding our chickens, um, which are out in the field. And, um, and I love just pausing and just watching the, the leaves or the grasses or the sun peek over the levee, listening to the chickens and the the many, many birds we have in the orchard, but it always brings me delight because there seems to be like nature is by nature chaotic as in it's unordered by human hands, right? It exists it without our boundaries. So, so by its existence, it is chaotic. And yet there's something about a participation in that natural chaos that brings so much calm and order to our human chaos. And what is that, that for you? you happen to that? Yeah. It's funny that you call it chaos because I call it perfection. Mm. I do. I always say that, you know, the, the more I can get away from man's uh, manipulation mm. in the world, the more perfect it becomes. Mm. So I seek places where I can look all around me and say, man did not manipulate this. This mm. is, and, and again, I go to the spiritual side. This is God's creation, right? Mm. This is, this is not man. So anything in nature to me is, is perfection because we, in its natural state, we haven't messed it up hopefully as, as man, right? So I look at trees and they're perfect to me. I look at flowers, they're perfect. Grass, it's all perfect. Animals, they're perfect. They're living the life they're absolutely supposed to live and they don't have all these other, you know, computers. <laughs> they don't have things like we have, right? They're just out doing their thing, and it's perfect. Almost, almost have like, you, I was, go ahead, Gavin. Yeah. Have you interacted with a zone in the world where you feel like humanity has been able to draw out or draw into nature without manipulating or without ruining it? Does that make sense? Like, can it only be perfect if man is not present, or can there be a more purified sense of nature and also man's coexistence? Ooh, that's a good question. So uh, when I hiked the John Muir Trail, you know, I was after a, a, a really incredible experience. And of course it was. And I did that by myself. And I just thought, I am so grateful that man made this possible for man to come out here. Mm. And on this, you know, probably 18 inch wide thread of trail, have it not impact the beauty at all other than the path that you're walking on. Mm. So everything around you, there are no reservoirs, there, there's nothing else that has been created by man other than incredible trails that go over the passes and make that possible mm. so that you're not doing like a class four climb mm -hmm. or you know that type of thing through a meadow without completely destroying the meadow. The meadow's untouched, but for 18 inches of of this thread of trail that allows you to, to follow through that and see its beauty. Hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, but there are some ways in which man has absolutely enhanced nature by allowing us to be able to see it without destroying it. Hmm. I love that. I love that. One of the words that I have down here, Elka, is respect for nature. And, and how do you see a, a respect for nature playing out um, just how we interact with it? 
Um, well, one observation I've really made since COVID is a lot more people are out in nature. And in particular, where I live down the American River Confluence, it's great to see people out in nature, but the more people who are out there, the more of a mix of people who are out there. And some people aren't quite as respectful of nature as they should be. I mean, no one should ever leave trash. Mm. No one should leave a trace, period. But unfortunately they do. And, and when you get to a place that's that crowded and you've got thousands of people down there on any given weekend, you see the, the um, imprint of man. Mm. And so I think it's really important for, you know, I can't control what people choose to do, but I think for those who can, we should do what we can to uh, pick up those traces when we see them, you know, whether it's picking up trash or, or uh, the trail stewardship that I do, you know, making trails more safe for people to cross um, and that type of thing. But yeah, respecting it always, you know, it's an honor to be out there. Um, it's not a guarantee that that's mm. going to be available to us, whether it be through fire or you know development or what have you uh, in the case of private lands but um yeah it's it's really important to respect that and it's not about us right now it's about cabin's kids your kids your kids kids and and beyond and all the animals and you know everything that lives out there yeah, that's fantastic. And that kind of goes a little bit in hand as a great segue into to my next thought here is about talking about stewardship, about being, you know, good stewards of what we do. Because sometimes I think, you know, people are out there and I don't know that we blatantly go out there like I'm going to go out and trash nature today. I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to spread garbage everywhere and I'm just going to trample everything. I think we go out there and we, we just don't have a good, you know, consciousness about what we're doing or, or the impact that we're making. And can you talk to me a little bit about, about what stewardship looks like, maybe how we could better steward the land from your experiences, from what you've seen the, on the impact of the land. And then I really want to, I want to explore uh, stewarding the trails again, man's impact or people's impact, whatever uh, on the trail and, and how to best steward and have people help people enjoy nature. Yeah. Um, you know, in my years of stewardship, especially in the forest service lands, that's probably where I've done most of it, but there is the, uh, the trail manager for the American River Ranger District, which the Western States Trail um, travels through for about 70% of their trail. And he, uh, he and I, their, their trail manager, we've worked extensively together. And his motto is always, make it better. Mm. And that has stuck with me. So I think we can all make it better. Every opportunity we have, go outside, go out on the trails. If you see something that needs to be picked up, pick it up. Kind of make it your motto like i can't just look at it and keep going i have to pick that up mm. um don't trample things don't don't manipulate things i mean you know people unfortunately tag bridges across waterfalls and those types of things locally down in bishop recently i i follow a group out there that um you know talk about making it better they have groups of people who go out and pick up trash mm. along the highways, in the camp areas, people who come in over the weekends and, you know, unfortunately leave some things behind. They pick up these bags of trash in these Caltrans bags and they leave it on the highway and Caltrans comes and picks it up. These people go out there with the sole purpose of cleaning up the land. Mm. And I've done that personally when I was down there. My friend has a bunch of those bags. So 
I spent two hours picking up trash on the side of Ed Powers Road outside of the Buttermilks and the Bishops. And, mm. you know, it's the least we can do. What's two hours, you know? Yeah. Put on some gloves and pick up trash. So if it's on the side of the road, if it's in camp areas, if it's on trails, whatever you see that you think you might be able to make better, make it better. I love that. Kevin, do you have any, I've got, I've got a ton of questions, but I want to leave some space here. So there's this, there's this rumor going around about you, Elka, that I just need to ask about. And this (laughs) rumor is that you can, you can sling a mad chainsaw, that in, in this trail stewardship, there's maybe this this side of you that comes to light here that I, I just want to hear about a little bit. And I'll preface that with telling, I told Cabin before we started recording that you're one of the most badass people that I know, Elka. <laughs> honestly, like I'm bragging on you. But yeah, like I told him, like this this lady can sling a chainsaw like nobody's business. <laughs> I think you even yes. named your chainsaw, right? <laughs> I do. I have two saws and they both have names. Wait, okay. So what are their names? Well, and and wait, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit so... <laughs> So I just pruned 3,500 trees this winter. So I, you know, there, there's a significant part of my job that is pretty chainsaw reliant. So I'm a little bit of, you know, so you got make and model and then what's their name? Okay. <laughs> that's a good question. That's a farm. I have, that's funny. I have a, a 251 still. Okay. And a 261 still. Nice. 251 is Barbie. Mm. She's like this easy start, great nimble saw. Yeah. Um, I use her a lot for the smaller stuff yeah, uh, because she's easy to pack. I mean, I, I go down into canyons, so, mm. you know, I might be climbing out a 2000 foot climb mm. with the saw pack and all the fuel and everything else. So mm. if, if the down trees are smaller, you know, it's only an 18 inch bar on that one. Mm-hmm. I, I take Barbie mm. this weekend. I'll be working all day Saturday to clear a course for a hundred K that that's going on. And, um, there's some bigger trees that fell. So my other bigger saw, 261, with a 20 is is uh that's Eastwood, like Eastwood. Yes. Okay. Two, and, and 261 then... with a 20. Those are words. I'm sure they mean something to somebody. <laughs> it's, it's a still 261 yeah. pro. I don't know what you use, Haven, yeah. but it's a great saw. Yeah. I I mean just just for little stuff around. I mean, well, first of all, I have a ten foot pole saw, so I do a lot just from the ground. Oh, those are awesome. Um, but then we have yeah a couple of two seventies, and then yeah we've got. I mean, our biggest one. I think it's a four ninety one. It's got a. It's got like a. What is it? Got a forty inch bar on it, or I mean, it's it's a it's big. It's probably like the wood boss or something. Yeah, it's it's a it's a large felling. saw. It's what we use for, you know, base cuts on on the trunks of trees. Um, but yeah, well, I think we've got seven or eight different saws that we use at different times for different things but okay but you you mentioned something else in there that that you know for those of us who are familiar with the Auburn area we just kind of filed away as like common knowledge but there's going to be a lot of people listening who don't know this thing exists so I know it's not necessarily your particular passion but you mentioned it so just give it a little bit of explanation uh, this idea of ultra endurance races and particularly ultra endurance through these trails that you're maintaining um, because you said there's a hundred K race. And I also see a map behind you. Are those corollary things? Yeah, this is the Western state. That's, so I've ran the Western thought. States trail. Yeah. It's a three panel map, um, Squaw Valley to Auburn. So, so, okay. So let's just lay out some geography for people not in California. So Squaw Valley is elevation. What? Squaw Valley. Uh-huh. Just look on the map. Say. Let's see. I, I think Probably, it's like 6,600 feet. Yeah. yeah, I'd say that the valley, Squaw Valley is about 66 or so. 
And then the first three miles of the race climbs about 2,500 feet up to the escarpment. And that's the high point. And then you basically head west through several canyons. And, um, and, and you're literally running the Sierra Nevada mountain range for a hundred kilometers. No, hundred miles. miles, even more. That's a hundred miles. You're literally just running through the mountains and you have 24 hours. Is that right? That's the limit. You have 30 for an official. Have, okay. You have 30 finish. hours yeah. to literally run the mountain range down to Auburn, which is just barely in the foothills, about a, about a thousand feet more or less. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and people sign up for this. People choose this lifestyle. Not only do they sign up, there's a waiting list for people to run a hundred miles over an entire 24 hour period, if I'm not mistaken, right, Elka? Well, first of all, you have to have a qualifying run. And to go back to this 100K race that's happening weekend after next, it is a qualifying run. So you can enter the lottery for Western states and have about a 2% chance of your name being drawn. Unbelievable. Wow. Now, so, I want so you- part of so part, part of what you do, because you are maintaining the trails to make sure that these runners can run through the middle of the night in, in some assurance that the trail is not going to give out right underneath them. Yes. So not only do we clear down trees, but we also do tread work. So, you know, oftentimes throughout the winter, especially on heavy winter, wet months, there will be erosion, sometimes big slides. We need to go in there and repair them. We also maintain the water drainages. Mm. We do outslopes, inslopes, whatever makes sense so that the water can get off the trail as quickly as possible. Mm. We do brushing, all of that. And it's not just for runners, it's for moto. Mm. All the trails, except for the uh, initial Granite Chief Wilderness, of course, there's no motorized anything in a wilderness area. Mm. Um, so that's for horse and foot only. But beyond that, from the border of Granite Chief Wilderness, all the way to Forest Hill, mm. it's multi-use, meaning moto, horse, mm. bicycles, foot traffic. And then through ASRA, Auburn State Rec Area, State Parks, it's horse and foot again. Mm. Wow. So yes, we, we maintain the trail, clear the trail of any downed trees. Um, you know, in particular fire areas, post-fire, mm. those trees, as you probably know, Cabin, will continue to fall. Mm -hmm year after year after years, the trees rot. And they, they sometimes will cross several sections of trail, just one tree if you've got switchbacks. So you're, you're cutting the same tree multiple times all the way down to the canyon, wow. depending on how big the tree is. Wow. I've got some wild photos. Wow. What's the- and, um, and so, so again, sorry, Chris. I'm, I no, keep you're good. Me. Keep going. So the, again, for listeners, there, there's just some, there, there's, a, there's an aura about this place when when you're around a group of people and it's no big deal to go on a 150 mile bike ride on a Saturday or go run 50 miles on a weekend or I mean it just it changes the tenor of kind of everything when you live in this space that's just like oh yeah of course we do 100 mile races that's just how <laughs> humans live and the rest of the world's like no that's not how humans live <laughs> what it's, are you doing who are, who are these crazy people well, if you come into auburn auburn california it, it says the endurance capital of the world i don't know if that's self-proclaimed or if that's an official title uh but that does say when when coming into auburn for sure yeah. elka what's the what's the uh farthest you've ever had to hike in with a chainsaw to to take mm -hmm. care of the trail 
Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, maybe six or so miles each okay. way. Okay. But you know, some of the canyons. Light. Yeah, I would say six miles. Um, you know, if we're if we're schlepping us all the way from say the top of Devil's Thumb over to Last Chance, and we'll be clearing everything on both sides. Mm. You know, but usually we try to clear one side of the canyon on one day cache all of our equipment at the bottom, come back the next day, grab our equipment, go up the other side, and then we schlep the whole thing back out. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, now I, I know that there's some terminology. Uh, as one who's not allow, allowed around the power tools, I'm pointing at myself, this guy with two thumbs <laughs> pointing at me. There's some terminology. I, I so appreciate all the training that you've gone through, you know, because being out there, especially six miles out from probably anything, if something happened to you with a chainsaw, that's bad news. Uh, so I appreciate all the training that you've gone through, but take me through some of the terminology that you have when you're out there maintaining the trail. So I know a swamper is, is a thing. Uh, tell me about a swamper and maybe some of the, the terms that you have when you're out there maintaining the trails and, and cutting those trees. A swamper is a thing. And I have the best swamper in the world with my good friend, Bruce. Um, he, if, if I let him, and usually by the end of the day, I beg him they'll carry your pack, right? So they carry your saw for you because operating a saw, as Caven can tell you, gets tiring pretty quickly. Mm. And especially in the heat and especially, you know, in those canyons when you've been hiking and then you're covered um, head to toe in PPE. So I wear pants, I wear boots, I wear chaps, Kevlar chaps. I never saw without those. Mm -hmm. Long sleeve shirt, um, I've got, head pro on, you know, a hard hat. I've got ear pro on glasses, gloves, and it might be 90 degrees out there wow. in the canyon. And, you know, you heat up really quick. So a swamper oftentimes will carry your, your gear for you. And then they'll also, um, behind you clear all the branches. If you're limbing a tree first, and then you cut the sections of it, they're going to clear the, all of that off the trail for you. So you can move on up to the next tree. Um, and they'll also, help to create a, a safe escape route because oftentimes out there, um, and I'm sure this can be the case for you too, Kaben, you might have, um, you know, you, you always have to look at situational awareness to see, you know, if I free up this tree right here that is leaning on this other tree, what could possibly go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Is this other tree going to shift? Could it snap? Is there a side bind in the fallen log? Is there a, you know, top bind, bottom bind? I've had, trees in the canyon that will literally snap when I start releasing them. They've got side binds, meaning they're leaning very hard against another tree. Mm. And that tree is literally holding that fallen tree into place. And when you release that tension, things can get very scary. So I've actually had to jump back from saws to let a tree continue to pop. Oh, wow. So um, yeah, we are trained, we're certified. We have to go back and get research. We've got first aid, you know, basic stuff that, that we carry around with us. And oftentimes we'll carry forest service radios, call into Grass Valley, let them know we're out there and we let them know that we're safe when we come back out. Mm. So safety is paramount. Absolutely. I can only imagine. Now, I, I, I don't want to leave the Western states thing yet because this, this is a big deal. Like, I guess if you live around the area, you don't realize kind of how big of a deal this 100 mile run is but i want you to brag on yourself for a little bit i think you and you and your daughter have a record don't you or there, there's some thing that you did with western states that's pretty notable 
Well, we both finished it. So we're mm. the only mom daughter to have finished it. That's Whoa, a huge accomplishment huge right there. Accomplishment. <laughs> cool. Wow. And, and a cool thing about the Western States, and I think that you've done it like, I'm thinking of like a NASCAR or Indy or whatever. There's pit crews for these runners, aren't there? Aren't there people that are actually like the runners have their own, like here's a new set of shoes or you've done that, <laughs> right? <laughs> pit crewed for a runner? Yes. So along the course, there are 23 aid stations. So you're usually getting some, some kind of self-help. In other words, the aid stations are going to have fluids for you, electrolytes, Cokes, all that good stuff. They're going to have, of course, this year is going to be a little bit different because of COVID, but they're going to have anything from grilled cheese sandwiches to popsicles to you name it. Wow. And then you also have crews. So there are certain crew spots along the course, not at every aid station. Some places crew are not allowed. And your crew basically sets up and They've got a chair for you. They've got all your things laid out for you, whether you need clean socks, shoes, you know, a new top or whatever, and to refill your hydration pack with whatever, you know, nutrition that you need hmm. for the next 20, 30 miles until you see them again. Wow, just That's incredible. Just, That's just incredible. another marathon until you need more people. Marathon through through the forest. And again, just just again to for context here, when most people hear the words Western states, they think of things like California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, right? But what we're talking about here, the, the name of the race is called Western States, which can be a little yeah. bit confusing. Yeah. And it's a hundred mile race called Western States. So Google it, look it up on Wikipedia, you can read all about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of like the Mount Everest of running and yeah. 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 WS100.org, I think it is. Yeah. Hmm. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. It started, I think, back in the 70s or something like that when it somebody did. just decided, I'm going to run that trail. <laughs> well, well, actually, yeah. it started out with the Tevis Cup, which, is a, oh, which right. is a horse endurance. It's a 100 mile horse run. And Gordy Ansley, his horse went lame and he said, you know, forget that. I'm just going to finish the rest of it on foot. Rest of its history, <laughs> and that still goes today. So, so I can tell listeners. I'll tell you that this this Western State ends at the high school stadium, which is about uh, the window in front of me, about a thousand yards outside of my house here, and I can hear the PA announcer all through the night going. So, this is the one time. It's cool living by the stadium, but it's like all night people are finishing <laughs> this race, and it is incredible but, to see people come through at the end. But but, it's but imagine. The record is like just a hair over 14 hours. Oh That's my god. 100 miles. And this is people all over the world, right? Like all over the oh, world yeah. people are coming yeah. to this. Yeah. But but imagine someone in the Indy 500 whose car wrecks and they're like, "You know what? I'm just <laughs> going to finish this race on foot. I'm just going to run it." And then a bunch of people in the stadium are like, "That looks like a good idea. We're going to sign up to run it next year instead of driving it." Like that kind of mental <laughs> state that was created around like this is a very unique group of people. It is. They're very driven, <laughs> driven people. But, a, but you have done that. You have, not only have you joined that cohort of people who have attempted it, but you've joined that even more rarefied air of people who've completed it. Um, it's a special community. I mean, you know, it's an honor. Special to is a word for it. I'll state. tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's truly an honor because it's, it's, it's the most, uh, it's the oldest. It's full of history. It runs through some really historical, remarkable places um, from the gold rush. Mm. These are, these are towns, ghost towns with 
gold mining equipment still left. Like obviously no one's there anymore, but back in the day, thousands of people lived in these places yeah. and the trail goes right through it. Awesome. And, wow. and and for our listeners, yeah, it, it is. It, you are going down into canyons and you are coming crossing rivers and you are coming back up the other side of the canyon. Like it is it is an endurance run. It is not just a flat yeah. level. You know, we're gonna be running for a hundred miles on the level level plane, basically. It yeah. climbs about eighteen thousand feet and oh. drops about twenty two thousand feet throughout the race. Yeah. It's so Holy the fact that you and your daughter. you and your daughter finish that's unbelievable. I, I mean so much respect. <laughs> Yeah. for you <laughs> I mean, for her especially i mean she was going to she's finishing her undergrad so she had a full load she worked full time she's also in the reserves and she trained for western states and finished it on a very difficult year so i always give her you know tremendous kudos because she i don't know how she did it hmm. you know it's just amazing she's got her mother's drive yeah for sure Hey, talk to me a little bit about getting getting out in nature, uh, getting out as as a retreat, as a place of solace and and spiritual refreshment. What does that mean for you? Again, it's just extremely vital to uh, recalibrate yourself in that way. So I choose to do a lot of solo backpacking trips, and um, beginning in two thousand. 17, I think it was, I decided to start doing those on snowshoes as well. Um, I really only did my first solo snowshoeing multi-day just a couple weekends ago on the Tahoe Rim Trail. And that was really fun. Uh, did a couple of sections of the Tahoe Rim Trail. Mm. But um, again, it's important to be able to, for a lot, a lot of the reasons I like to do it solo is because I feel it makes me stronger. I'm reliant only on my own knowledge. I'm not leaning on anyone else for their expertise to get me out of whatever pickle. I'm going to use my own brain and my own, uh, I don't know, experience, if you will. Mm. If something goes awry, you got to figure it out. And Chris knows that something kind of went awry <laughs> on this last one, but it was okay. It was just kind of a minor inconvenience. Um, I actually forgot my lighter at home, which is a giant no-no. And my cooking device, which is, has a, an igniter on it, decided it did not want to work on night three. So no way to get water because I was in the snow and I, I don't bring a tent. So I, I literally just camp on the snow. So I've got a shovel, dig down just a couple of feet. <laughs> you are a crazy person. I love everything yeah, about this. Sleep on the snow. I, I just love how casual you are about it. And so, like, maybe you just went to the, your local Target, but you're like, <laughs> dug a hole in the snow and set my set up my sleeping bag. It's really not a big deal. I mean, the oh, nice thing God. about snow camping is, as long as you bring your lighter and you can melt snow, you've got endless water. Yeah. Right. There are no people out there. You don't have to have permits. Mm. There are no bugs out there. Yeah. You know, usually there are no bears, especially if you're high enough. So, you know, it's, it's Nirvana. As long as you've got the right gear and I've got a negative 40 degree bag that is just awesome. And, and a bit so not only did I, did I forget my lighter, but on night three, two, my sleeping pad decided it wanted to have two holes from the night before. Oh, so man. I literally slept on the snow with no <laughs> boundaries between the snow and my bag, but you know, it was a bit of a sleepless night, but you know, you open up your eyes on your sleepless night and 
stars mm -hmm. everywhere. And, you know, you're above Lake Tahoe and you look down, it's like, what could be better? Who, mm. who wouldn't want to do that? That's the reward. It's incredible. And you're by yourself. Yeah. Like, I'm doing this. I mean, how, how blessed am I to be able to, number one, have the desire to do it. Number two, um, have trust in myself. And again, my faith comes into that too, mm -hmm. right? You have to make smart choices, but it's nice to know it's not all about you that, um, you know, there's, there's a greater force out there watching after you. As long as you make smart choices. <laughs> but that's not going to have your back if you uh, decide to, I don't know what. <laughs> my Jump wife, off. yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my wife wanted me, she's like, ask Elka this. She's like, knowing what an enthusiast you are about the outdoor, how evangelical you will, that, that you're <laughs> for the outdoors. And she's like, you know, for people who enjoy looking at the outdoors, but don't enjoy so much getting outdoors, what what would you say that would might help motivate where maybe I'd just rather be on the computer, maybe I'd rather, you know, enjoy sleeping in my own bed? What would you say to somebody like that to what what are, what are we missing? Well, I was just gonna say you don't know what you're missing. Mm. I mean, oh, okay. number one, we all need to detach from computers and TVs and all of that to to really think clearly. I can't I can't think of a time when I had more mental clarity at home, for sure, I have to be in the mountains. I have to be outdoors to have that mental clarity. Mm. Um, it helps me figure things out. It helps me with gratitude. You know, everything else, there's no, there's no chaos. There's no interference. It's just pure, mm. pure connectivity to where we came from. You were and, telling and me. And what I'm hearing you say, though, too, also, is that it's not just about that particular moment but that there's something maybe Universal. the word transcendent is too strong. Yeah. But it, but it mm. carries so far beyond just that one moment. It carries into every facet of your life, right? It becomes this totalizing understanding of reality that informs just so much beyond just the mountains, right? It actually gives you sanity or presence or meaning or purpose or some bigger exactly. things than just, yes. than just a night and then just a, a sleeping bag on a hillside. Right. Exactly. And it's also a reminder, and I think it's really important to feel small in the world, mm. right? It's humbling. It kind of puts you in your place and you're just, you're just this tiny speck of a much larger mm. picture. Right. And I don't know, it's just, uh, again, it's great to go out with friends. It's great to go out with groups sometimes, but I think it's really important for me, especially to be out there on my own as well, just to have that full full entire being cleansing if you will hmm. i listen to music a lot out there too oh, okay yeah and that that's actually cool. adds to it whether hmm. it's um i listen to music of all kinds and the thing that's beautiful about that is when i hear those songs that i heard when i was out there it takes me right back yeah. out there oh, so and it good. puts me in that mental state it's like oh, oh god i remember i saw that bald eagle there's this beautiful lake and that's what i so that's what i see when i hear that song so, so. good that's amazing. You were, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, before this about pine and what that what the the smell of pine actually does for you mentally. What what was that again? It changes the brain chemistry. Hmm. The smell of certain uh, trees, you know, different flora hmm. outdoors changes the brain, 
as does just the experience of seeing it, right? Mm -hmm. But there have been many different, uh, you know, researchers looking into the benefits of being outdoors. And it's, there's no, there's no arguing the importance of it. It just really is. I, I think that people um, who really suffer with depression, Mm -hmm. I think being outdoors more often could be helpful to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, you're just not, you're not, there's no interference of the things that Mm -hmm. we're we're bombarded with on a daily basis. Nothing. I mean, I I often think like on multi-day trips out there, it's like anything could be happening in the world and I'm completely Mm -hmm. unaware of it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. Like, do you have any any thoughts for somebody who maybe the outdoors as we're describing the outdoors isn't as readily accessible? Maybe maybe they're in a more urban environment, uh, don't have access to as many trees uh, like we're talking about. Any any thoughts on on what folks might be able to do just to to maybe find nature in, in small places or or do those mental resets? Oh, that's a good question. I think that even in urban areas, they've got public places like parks. Mm. And if you go there and just, you know, pick a good spot under some trees or what have you, and just sort of lay there and zone out and just stare at the sky. I mean, you can find nature in the smallest places. You can find nature walking down the street in a city. I mean, there's things struggle to grow. It's, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. Look at weeds in the sidewalk. That's <laughs> nature of sorts in of itself. <laughs> Oftentimes those weeds are edible too. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. All your miners lettuce growing outside. Chris? I, I do have a lot of miners lettuce. Make in my salad. <laughs> <laughs> Elka, there's, there's a big thing that happened to you uh, over this, over the winter that, uh, you know, being outdoors and speaking of hiking long distances, uh, you were part asked to be part of a group that was retracing the forlorn hope party. Uh, for those that don't know, that was part of the the Donner Party, and that's uh, as a California kid, that's a big part of our state history that we learn. Uh, can you take us a little bit through that? Because I know that that was a really big thing, and and it, and it might be a documentary that's coming out. But can you take us through that? Maybe a little bit about the history of what happened there, and then how you got to you know retrace their steps and and what that meant to you. Sure. Yeah. Um, So the Donner Party, of course, got their name primarily because as opposed to the rest of the immigrants, they got stuck in the Truckee Valley and over winter, which arrived early, they took a wrong turn and route to trying to get to Sutter's Fort in Sacramento. And because of that wrong turn, they were delayed and their arrival into the, the Donner area of Truckee was delayed and snowstorms came in early that year. It was actually a hundred year record snowfall year. Mm. And so different parties tried to set out to go get help from the other side of the Sierra, which basically the closest place was Wheatland, Johnson's Ranch in Wheatland. And uh, parties turned around and came back, turned around and came back, turned around and came back until this one party they put together, it started out with 16 individuals and, um, they set out, um, actually, yeah, it was 16, two people turn, ended up turning around and coming back, um, but the rest of them forded on. And the leader of the group, Charles Stanton, who knew this route and had made it a few times, was guiding them. They didn't have a compass, anything else. 
And Charles Stanton became snowblind, unfortunately, mm. and perished even before they got to uh, what we would call Immigrant Gap. That's where he went snowblind. He perished there. And the rest of the Forlorn Hope group, with no idea where to go during these blizzards, ended up taking what they thought to be an easier route and ended up going down the North Fork instead of or sorry, the middle fork instead of the north fork. If you think that, of Bear Valley, there's a, a lookout and you look down there, Highway 20, that was the correct route. They ended up going south down into the, the middle fork. So when you say, when you're referring to that, that's actually the, the river, the American river that would be flowing through yes, the, through the canyons right. here. So to, to, again, set the scene for our listeners, basically, if you're coming across, and I believe this was in the 18... 18, 1846. 1846 is when this happened. So you've got covered wagons that are coming over. You've got to now go over the Sierra Nevada mountains. And the goal is to come into the Sacramento Valley and then eventually uh, either stay there or go more towards San Francisco uh, area. And so these, these folks get stuck up there, hundred years snow that's coming in. Now they're, now there's snow that's, they're socked in the leader guy, basically not even a third of the way towards their final destination gets snow blind. It unfortunately perishes. They take a wrong turn. They're following down the river, what they think is the right way, which ends up delaying them even more. And again, they're out there in the snow Elka. They don't have the minus 40 degree bag. They don't have the Kevlar. They don't have the instant lighter, right? These people are in, basically long sleeves and pants basically with maybe a blanket trying to go through this you know waist deep snow and and so eventually you know and and for us elementary school kids you hear the donner party and you're like ooh cannibalism that's the that's the people that they ate the other people because they were stuck in the snow and and unfortunately it, it turned to that but there was a group that that basically struck out and said, we're going to go find help. We know it's down in the Sacramento Valley. We got to come out of these mountains and, and get some help. And eventually they made it and then sent help back, which was good. Yes. But you you basically had an opportunity to this winter retrace those steps. Hmm. Yes, we did. So uh, we had a party of four in our expedition, two women and two men. Uh, Bob and Tim, Bob Crowley, Tim Tweetmeyer, myself, and Jennifer Hemmen. And Bob and Tim have been researching everything they can possibly get their hands on to find this lost course, this lost path. It's not a trail. Mm. A lot of it's, you know, bushwhacking cross country, down steep canyons, um, up the other side, back down again, crossing, crossing the American River a couple of times. Um, so they spent seven years researching wow. the forlorn hope and the path that they took. And uh, they decided they wanted to do this. And um, upon conversations, et cetera, they decided, heck, you know, the main portion of the survivors of the forlorn hope were women. So we should probably invite some women. So long story short, I was invited to go. It was only weeks before they were going to set out. I think I had about four weeks notice. And of course I was, didn't feel like I was quite in shape for it. But um, once I found out, you know, this is, this is more honoring the forlorn hope and not about, it's not about us. It's not about trying to get this done in any particular time, gave ourselves five days to do it, but it took the forlorn hope 30 days, by the way, mm. uh, just because they, they were starved before they even went out there. And of course their starvation became much worse. Hence the, um, the the cannibalism but that that wasn't the focus right it was right. trying to find their lost trail yeah so through 
many, many different types of, of research. They, they found it, they went out and researched it over the summer and mapped this out so that we could follow that path. And that's exactly what we did. On the anniversary of the Forlorn Hope's departure um, in 1846 is when we went out in 2020 during COVID and all that stuff. And we set out with our snowshoes and our backpacks and we, we followed the course. And, and you, did you do it in five days? We did. We did it in five wow. days. Yeah. Walk us through those, those final miles as you're coming up to, it's, it's called Johnson's Ranch is where their, their end destination was heading for. Uh, walk us through, you know, what those final miles were like and kind of what that meant to you and, and how you were feeling as you were coming towards the end. Yeah, there, there were some very poignant moments on any given day, just knowing where certain people had perished along mm. the way. The camp of death was a very surreal moment. That was on uh, day three. Day five, we started very close to Lake of the Pines, and our final destination was Johnson's Ranch, about 26 miles. Um, and on that day, you know, we all just had minimal gear. We didn't have to carry backpacks. We just carried our hydration packs and we had on our running clothes and we had to go through some private property to, to get ultimately to Camp Far West and all that. Went. So worked with some property owners, which was very gracious of them to let us through. Mm. But um, I've never been to Camp Far West and really had never been to, you know, didn't really know about Johnson's Ranch before all of this. I mean, I'd read The Indifferent Stars Above uh, years before on a snowshoeing hike, oddly. Um, so it was pretty amazing that I brought that book with me on that trip a mm. few years back. And, and then there I was actually following their footsteps. So, um, but there were some people who were following us along the way and there were a couple of different groups in cars following us as we made our way toward Camp Far West. And they'd stop and, you know, talk to us a little bit more. And, and I asked one of the men, because he was local, I said, can you point to where Johnson's Ranch is? He said, it's right down there in those trees. And of course, you know, it's still, I don't know, six or seven miles away, but that's when it really hit me. Like this, this is where they went. And as we went toward Camp Far West, there are some historical markers there. And that is where you can first see the wagon ruts because the lake was really low. The reservoir is really low at that point. You can see the wagon ruts as plain as day from the immigrants. Mm. About a hundred wagons came into Johnson's Ranch on any given day for wow. a few years. Those wagon ruts are still completely visible today. Wow. Johnson's Ranch is private property. Um, so I will say it hit me a lot sooner than it hit the rest of the group. And I just had tears streaming down. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can't believe it. There are artifacts along the way. Mm -hmm. um, when the lake gets really low, there's still just artifacts from all the immigrants. It's, it's mm -hmm. amazing. But when we actually crossed over uh, the property line to get onto Johnson's Ranch and we pulled out cards of the Forlorn Hope. We had cards of each individual, their birth date, their date of death, any background that we had. And we each carried individuals in our hands and carried them all the way into, into Johnson's Ranch. And wow. it was just, I have goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. 
it was so moving. And then we placed those cards at the site of the Adobe house, which is where they all finished. Mm. Those who survived. Um, I am completely uh, summarizing how this whole mm. went down, but we placed the cards down where that Adobe house had once stood. Mm. And there were historians there. It was a very small group of people. Our families were there, but it, it was emotional for everyone. Mm. Now you, you had a camera camera person that was, was with you the entire time filming it. Uh, there was kind of a trailer that I saw put together, some incredible footage uh, of you guys moving through the night, through the snow, through the shadows, uh, through the terrain, which was rough terrain. Um, and, and this might possibly be a documentary. Is that right? Is that, is there still plans for that? Yes, there's still plans for that. So Bob and uh, Keith Sutter is the photographer and he was embedded with us many times, not the whole time. Sometimes some of the footage I took from a GoPro or, mm. you know, even my, even my iPhone. Mm. But um, yes, that's that's the plan is to is to create a documentary, not just of our expedition, of course, but sure. the whole history of yeah. Portland. Yeah, Absolutely. wow, wow, incredible. I'm I'm you know I'm born and raised California, and I'm already learning things about this, but you know because it, it's you know <clears throat> very easily fictionalized in kind of the folklore and mythology of California. Um, so that's amazing just to even be well, a little bit from you. It's, it's hard to say if the remaining people back at Donner Lake would have ever survived without the success of the Forlorn Hope. So they are absolutely heroes. Wow. And None of the women perished. And that's what I want. So talk about that, because that is an interesting fact that the, the, the women didn't perish. Talk, the women did talk not perish. And, you know, I think part of that has to do with um, women have slower, slower metabolisms we have higher body fat. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't tend to starve quite as, as quickly as men might because of your higher muscle mass. Um, so yeah, they, they survived. Uh, it's, it's, you know, three of them had children back at Donner Lake. Mm -hmm. Um, so they had even all that much more reason to fight for their lives. Well, and, and, that, and what I read too, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but there was almost this communal aspect about it where they were figuring out how to share and how to stretch whatever they had amongst and, and how hard must it have been if you've got somebody else's kids that you're watching and you've got your own kids and you're trying to figure out how whose to whose kids do I feed whose first, kids do I minor. feed yes yeah I can't no, imagine I mean, the burden of that is is unbelievable and leaving your children under the care of, of someone else knowing that you know, you're adding that burden to that woman's life. Mm -hmm. So then, so then this, this group that you followed, make it to Johnson ranch. And then the same people turn around and hike back up into the snowy mountains with relief, or how does that play out? Yes. One of the individuals turned right back around and went back in the group to go back and get family. Oh my word. And, and at that point, did she take the correct route back up the mountain? This was one of the men, okay. Willie Meddy, and he took others with him. Yes, and they made the correct route back. But I mean, there's there's just all kinds of drama. Oh. It was never smooth sailing for I can only for, imagine for any of them. I mean, that was just an incredible snow year. So it's not like the conditions ever got any better. Yeah. But they were following the correct route at least in those subsequent 
characters. So when they went back, did they have supplies or how specifically did they save everyone at Donner Lake? They did. They had supplies. Okay. And they couldn't bring everyone out from Donner Lake. People were in various stages of, you know. Uh, Malnutrition. and fit, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Un- wow. Incredible. That's Elka, funny. I have so enjoyed this conversation and it's just so incredible to hear about all of your experience you are really like i said one of the most badass people (laughs) that i know um and we have so enjoyed this cabin are there any any other questions that you have uh just to kind of round out our conversation today Uh, alec i feel like we could talk all night which is just a a lot of joy for me um because i just enjoy hearing your thoughts about the world and the way you see the world and what i'm hearing just even even between the words you're saying such a deep abiding still respect for deep time for time beyond lifetimes for the time of mountain ranges and the time of history and you carry that honor and you carry that memory in your body as you move in the mountains and I feel that coming from you in this conversation. And I, so I just want to acknowledge it and just say, mm. wow, how profound and good it is to be in the presence of someone like you who, who, oh. who embodies that energy in the world and brings it to us. So thank you. Well, thank you. Those are kind words. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, it it is really been our pleasure, honestly. Like to to hear exactly what Kevin couldn't have said it better. I mean, your your light is obviously shining, and I'm so excited that there would be so many people that can be exposed to that. Um, you are actually a fantastic photographer, and you are so good at documenting where you are, what you see. Your nature photography, honestly, is so good. Where can people find you uh, on Instagram? How can they how can they find you on Instagram? I'm uh, I'm California underscore wildflower on Instagram. Seriously, check Elka. I mean, your your shots of Poppy, you you inspire me. And just when you take your dog looping out, and and you have a tree that you take pictures of occasionally right by your house. I think it's called Eastwood. East, it's, it's Eastwood. Also that- Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> don't 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 let the two Eastwoods meet. Right, <laughs> keep them separate. <laughs> exactly, and yes, no chainsaw is ever going to touch that Eastwood. Yeah. Yep. But if you uh, if you want some peace and calm, Elka just posts some incredible pictures of of the canyon near where she lives, especially in a, the canyon. So beautiful when there's these low lying clouds. Elka, you capture that so so magnificently. So thank you for for sharing that with the world as well, and and giving us a chance to mentally reset even through the images that you take. Thank you, Chris. Having those images, it's a great reminder. You know when. When you're having a stress day or something, you just flip through and look at those and say, gosh, I have a really good life. Mm. You know, be grateful for that. I think it's really important to be able to document that and you can relive those moments just like the music, right? So good. So, so good. Well, we have we have loved this conversation. Well, I can only speak for myself. I have loved this conversation. Yes, I hope Kevin, you have too, and, and our listeners I as well. Undoubtedly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alka. Thanks you two for your insight and great questions. This has really been enjoyable. And that's our show. If this conversation was meaningful to you, like it was to us, leave a rating and review so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and join the conversation themselves. Thank you for listening. This has been such a fun conversation and we'd love for you to join the conversation too. But hey, you've heard enough of our voices. 
For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at ofdustanddivinity.com. Partner with us on Patreon and get access to exclusive content, merch, and hidden perks. Go to patreon.com slash ofdustanddivinity. Join our Facebook group of Dust and Divinity podcast community and engage with us on Instagram at ofdust underscore and divinity. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. One thing that we didn't get to, I, I love, again, y- how evangelical you are about it. And you are so selfless. Like you, you take people with you with, whenever somebody wants to come along, you're like, come on, come on, see, see what it looks like. See how oh, easy oh. it is. And you, you take people with you and, and mentor them in a way um, to, to experience this. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a gear collector. And for the <laughs> primary reason of now I've got, you know, three backpacks. Hmm. You don't need to have any gear because I've got it all. So, you know, let's just go. If you want to experience backpacking, I've got you. I've got three sleeping bags, three backpacks, you know, two pads, multiple stoves. I have lighters. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) And even lighters that you bring with you. (laughs) I have lighters that I remember to bring with me. I came home and shoved a lighter down right next to my spoon inside my jet boil. Like, oh my gosh, really? I can't believe that.